Welcome to the Grace Vineyard Podcast, where we are building growing communities of worshipers who are becoming like Christ, empowered to do His work. We hope you enjoy this message. Father's Day. Father's Day. It's a good day to honor fathers. And that Jesus, Jesus came to do some, some great things, right? To especially go to a cross and take the sins of the world upon himself and then rise from the dead victorious over hell and the grave and Satan and sin and bring victory to all of us. Uh, a primary thing he did was to reveal the nature of God. And probably most uniquely, even startling to religious leaders of the day, was he revealed God as a very intimate, loving father. One that he would call Abba. Or if he were speaking English, that would be approaching something like Papa or Daddy or even Dad. But that, that kind of term of endearment. Of endearment. And I know in our culture, and I know for some of you here today, um, maybe, well, actually, to some degree, all of us, there is a father wound, it could be called. I was just moments ago talking with someone here who works with children, um, letting me know where they work. They, there's so many of the children that are fatherless that um, saying Happy Father's Day actually brings a wound actually brings pain. And that's, it's an issue in our culture, um, fatherlessness, and that tends to distort people's view of God. But Jesus came to reveal the reality of who God is. And it was as a loving father, primarily. And what's really wonderful about Jesus and relationship with God through Jesus is that the brokenness that we might have that comes from a father wound or lack of a father or a father who wasn't all that he was meant to be is that God brings healing and fills up the place in us that is lacking due to that father wound because he is the perfect father. And there is an experience that is available for you and me that can change everything. Do you all know who Martin Luther is? Not Martin Luther King Jr. Do you know, does anyone know the name Martin Luther? We don't do a lot of history, I feel like. <laughs> we don't know where we came from. Uh, Mar- Let me see. Does anyone know what century? <laughs> so that gets confusing for us already because we're Americans. He's in the 1500s, so he's in the 16th century. Because if you're in the zeros, you're in the first century. That's how that works. So, so yeah, Martin Luther was a guy who was um, very instrumental in what's called the Reformation, which was a time in history where people who were in the church, followers of God, had a renewed awareness of the reality and the promise that salvation is a gift, completely by grace. 
And you also would know his name because you've probably heard of the Lutheran denomination. So that, that came from Martin Luther. So he, he said something interesting. This is a quote from him. I have difficulty praying the Lord's Prayer because whenever I say our Father, I think of my own Father who was hard, unyielding, and relentless. And he confessed this, Martin Luther. I cannot help but think of God that way. So the reality, this is one of the reasons why fathers probably need to pray a bit uh, on the nature, in the nature of the way I was praying for us a moment ago. The reality is that we tend to project our experience of earthly fathers onto God the Father. And there generally is a distortion there. And that's something I think that God is in the midst of in the process of bringing healing to. And I think, it's, I think what Martin Luther just said in that quote is probably a universal issue to some degree or another, some great, some not so great. But there, there are issues with us understanding and experiencing God in his terms and the way he really is. And the result is a lack of coming to wholeness. And I hope to maybe open up our understanding a little bit by looking at some things that are reality from the Bible and from the experience and the teachings of Jesus, um, but hoping to go into more experience than just um, thinking. You know, there's a big difference between believing something up here and experiencing it in your life. And when you experience it in your life, everything changes. I want to give you a book recommendation. I sometimes do that, and here's another one. This time I actually gave them the picture of the book. This is um, by a guy named Ed Piorek, who is local. He, he's in Mission Viejo. I just saw him speaking at the Laguna Niguel Vineyard um, two weeks ago. I saw him online. Um, he wrote a book called The Father Loves You, and I have to give him credit because uh, the ideas that I am going to present to you today are, were really honed in by him. But he had a revelation of experiencing God's love that was transformative and is transformative, continues to be transformative. Lord, as we look to some wisdom from your word, we pray that you, God, the Holy Spirit, would rest upon us right now to prepare our hearts and to prepare our minds to hear and to receive and to grow and to be transformed by your grace, by your mercy, by your love, by your acceptance, by your unconditional love. Speak to us today. We approach you with faith right now that you have good gifts for us. We believe that you're good. We believe you're a good father. We want to experience more of your goodness. Let us experience more of your goodness today, we pray. In Jesus' name. So in, in Ed's book, he says this sentence that I think is true. This is the way God has built us. We are created by our Father in heaven with the need to have his love. We will never be secure in life until we bury ourselves which is an interesting way to say it, in the warm embrace of his loving arms. And that may be foreign to some of you. The idea that God is such a loving father that it's possible 
to have an experience that is equivalent to burying ourselves, burying ourselves like a child would, or like an adult would, in the arms of a loving father. And that until we experience that, we're liable, almost guaranteed, to have insecurities and fears that crop up from time to time. I'm not going to go into the story of the prodigal son today, but I just want to briefly mention it. Most of you have heard of, you even know the phrase, a prodigal, or you know the story of the prodigal son. If you don't know this story, you can read it for your own in just like a half a page probably in the Gospel of Luke in the 15th chapter. But in that story, it's illustrative of, two, of a few things. One, of the nature of God as a loving father who's all compassionate and so forgiving and always loving, but also the nature of what it's like when people have not really experienced the love of the Father. So there's two sons in the story, and uh, as you most, most likely know, the, the younger son comes to the father and says, I'd like the inheritance now. I know you're not dead, but I don't really care too much about you, and I'd like your money. Could you just split up the inheritance, and I'm going to get out of here? And to a surprise... For the audience that Jesus is telling this story to, the father says, okay. And he splits up the inheritance and he gives the son his inheritance. He runs off to a distant land and he, uh, like a foolish young man, quickly spends the money on partying. And everything that you would think that partying, partying entails, he does. In fact, later in the story, it appears that a lot of the money is spent on prostitutes. So he's drinking and he's having sex with whoever and he's just living it up and of course the money runs out. And then a famine hits the land, and he comes to his senses and returns home, thinking, well, at least the servant's in my father's household, because his father has a big estate and has a staff, you know, employees working on the farm and all. Well, at least they have food, so I'm going to go back to my dad and say, I'm not worthy to be your son. Um, can I be like an employee? At least I will eat because he was taking care of some pigs, and he was thinking, what the pigs are eating looks good to me. That's how hungry he was. So he goes home, and before he can say the words about how I'm not worthy to be your son, the father sees him and runs to him, which is not appropriate in this culture. Uh, it's not something a father would do. They're more dignified. But this father forgets dignity. He runs as he sees the son in the distance, throws his arms around him, and before... The, the son can get his words out. The father calls to some of the household employees, bring a new robe and bring a ring and put it on his finger and get some sandals on this boy's feet. And that fattened calf that we've been raising for party time, well, it's party time. Kill the calf and we're going to have a party. So he throws this huge party. The son of mine, he was as good as dead, but now he's home. And this is just the love of the father. And, the, and the, the story continues that the older son is out working in the fields because he's a really responsible really responsible son. He comes in from the fields and hears the music and he grabs one of the household employees, one of the farm workers probably, and says, what's going on? And the guy says, didn't you know your brother is back? So your dad's throwing a big party. Come on in, let's party. And he gets mad. And the dad comes out to see him and goes, son, come, your, son, your brother's home. And his brother goes, this son of yours who wasted your money I'm partying and prostitute comes home and you throw him a party, you've never even thrown anything for me. And the father goes, what all I have is yours and I'm always with you. But your brother's back, we gotta go party and the, the, the older son won't, 
won't go in and party. So the, the story is this. When people, this is back to what I said, everyone's looking for this relationship of love with the Father. There's generally two paths that people take, and you'll recognize this. When there's the brokenness of not experiencing the love of God the Father, much less the love and unconditional acceptance of your own earthly father, that approving pleasedness with you, there's usually two paths that people take. Some people will take the path of going into immoral living, seeking for some kind of experience to fill that hole. And much of addiction has its roots in the lack of a father that's loving. Much. If you go deep enough, you'll find that's at the root. And um, so there's all the things of immorality and parting that never really fill. But the other side that usually doesn't go notice as much is you can become um, resentful because you're the good one who didn't do anything wrong and you're always working. And if you don't have the love of the Father, you're trying to earn the love of the Father and you become resentful that, well, he doesn't seem to notice me and you become super critical of others. If you've ever met someone who's really judgmental, who's always finding what's wrong with people and pointing the finger and kind of this kind of attitude, well, I would never. It probably comes from that same problem. They don't know how loved they are, or we don't know how loved we are. In, in Ed's book that I refer you to, he, he notes three kinds of fathers, and I won't describe this fully because I... Because for some of us, I could actually trigger some trauma, and I don't want to do that. But I just want to mention it to help us understand the distortion that Jesus has come to repair. So some fathers, when it says distortion, are the performance-oriented father, Ed goes on to write, where people feel like they have to get everything right get the right grades or make sure when they're playing baseball they hit the glove or you know whatever their activity is if they don't get it quite right they don't feel the love of the father the performance oriented father and some fathers are just kind of missing perhaps they have died some fathers have died and, and the child has no presence. Some through divorce have been taken out of the picture. Some through their employment, maybe even workaholism. Some who are alcoholics, they're self-absorbed, but in any case, they're not there to give the love that's unconditional and accepting and warm, the embrace, so that's missing the absent father. And the third is, is the punitive father, the kind of father who exacts pain instead of love some level of abuse, verbal, physical, or to all the extremes of the worst kinds of abuse. Those are the three main types of distortions of fatherhood. But all of them can be healed. So that the person, you and me, experiences from God, the loving Father whom Jesus came to reveal, the love and acceptance that deals with the effects of insecurity and fears and competitiveness and resentment and criticism or drives us to making some bad choices with some immoral choices that try to fulfill the whole. Jesus came to, re to reveal a God 
It's loving unconditionally. And so I want to just take us through a little bit of Jesus' experience and show how it is to apply to us. You, you still with me? You good? So in Mark's gospel and in other writers, we, we hear the story of Jesus at his baptism. And it's, un, it's interesting and I think instructive. In Mark chapter 1, verse 9, we read this. At, this, at that time, so this is early on, it's chapter 1, verse 9. It's right at the beginning Jesus' story. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven that Jesus and all those around him heard. And this voice said this, You are my son, whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. Now, at this point, Jesus hadn't done any miracle hadn't done any teaching, hadn't turned water into wine, hadn't done anything that would look like, oh, now I can see why God would love him. No, just by being the son, the father said, you are my son, I love you, and I'm well pleased with you. And immediately after this story, Jesus is taken into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan, remember that? And the temptations from Satan came with words like this, well, if you are God's son, then turn these stones into bread. If you are God's son, then throw yourself down from the pinnacle of this temple because the angels will take you up. And Jesus didn't bite into any of it because he didn't have to prove anything. He already knew deep in here that the father had said, you are my son. I love you. I'm well pleased with you. What Jesus experienced is available for you and me. To have the literal experience of God looking at you and saying, you are my daughter. I love you. I'm well pleased with you without you having done anything to earn it. Isn't that what you expect a loving human father to do with a child? It doesn't happen that often, or not completely at least. It happens to some extent. But this, I love you no matter. You can't unearn my love. You can't do anything to take away my love because I love you because I'm your father and you're my child. Those are powerful, powerful words. When a child knows that they are loved by their father, their father is pleased that when their father looks at them, there's a smile. And that if they throw the baseball and it doesn't come anywhere near home base, that that father's like, that's all right. I, we'll go practice. You're great. I love you. You know? Rather than, oh, in the shoulders slump. Dad's going to be really mad at me now. Not that, but the other. The son who, the daughter who does not do so well because they were foolish and didn't study and their grades show it. And the father's like, you know, that's okay because I love you and there's nothing your grades can do to take away my love. When a child knows that, there is a confidence, there is a strength, there is a not needing to succumb to peer pressure. 
There's a power in living, and it is the way it is supposed to be. And because of Jesus, it is the way it can be for you and for me. So we know Jesus had this experience, and it's so hard for most of us to get into the mindset that we don't have to work to please God. You don't have to work to please God. Hear me. You do not have to work to please God. He loves you. You're his child. You put your faith in Jesus. You've been adopted into his family. Listen to these words that Paul writes in Romans 8. No. Paul is an interesting guy because he was raised and trained in Greek culture. He's a Roman citizen, and he was raised and trained in the best of Jewish scholarship. So he's a, like a rabbi, he's a Pharisee, but he's also well-schooled. He's like a very interesting person. And he is going to talk about adoption, the way we've been adopted into God's family, but he uses language that is reflective of the reality of the Roman system for adoption. I will tell you about that in just a second, but I'll read his words first. So this would be the New International Version translation. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit. If, if you belong to Jesus, you've received the Spirit of God. You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. But you receive the spirit of sonship. Now, some translations would say you've received the spirit of adoption. And I'll tell you why there's differences in the translation. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Remember I told you a moment ago, Abba is the language of dad or papa or daddy. It's endearing, it's close. It's not, and by him we say, almighty God, creator of the heavens and the earth, which is true but it's no, almighty God, Abba, Daddy, Father. By him, by the spirit of adoption, we cry. And the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now that phrase, the spirit of sonship, the spirit of adoption, translates a Greek phrase that would be literally the placing of a son. And the reason is because of how a Roman child becoming a man received their role as a son, even though naturally born, they had something called the adoption. And I'm going to read to you from a guy named H.A. Ironside. He was the pastor of Moody Church in Chicago, if you've heard of D.L. Moody and the church he established. This guy was the pastor there from 1929 to 1948, and rather a well-known Bible teacher in his time. But he writes, when a Roman father publicly acknowledged his child as his son and heir, legally, in the forum, this ceremony was called the adoption. So that's what that phrase Paul uses referring to, that phrase, the adoption. All born in this family were his children, but only those who had the adoption were recognized as sons with all of the rights as an heir of the family and the authority that goes with being a son of the father. And what Paul is using that language to show us is that we have the rights as sons and daughters of God the Father in the same way that Jesus does. This is profound when you think about it. Jesus, who's part of the Trinity, in a mysterious way that we don't understand, how is there God that's three, that's one, and one's called God the Father, and one's called God the Son, and one's called God the Spirit, and, you know, for all of 
time, humans have been trying to get that in our head, and it's, it's beyond our finite mind's ability to completely grasp. We try all sorts of images. But in the same way, the Bible teaches us that Jesus is the Son of God. You have been adopted as sons and daughters of God with the full rights. And Paul would go on in this passage to say, you are co-heirs. Co-heirs. So, already... I can say that in the same way that God says to his son, God the son, Jesus, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased. Because I have received the spirit of adoption, the spirit of sonship, the the placing as a son, that I hear God the father saying to Ron Ost, you are my son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. When that settles into my heart and when I experience it personally more than just up here, I'm telling you, it changes everything. I have a really good earthly father, but he's not God and he's not perfect. And certainly in some ways, he's not always been unconditionally loving and all that, God, that a, a father should be. He couldn't be because he's human. He's, he, he's fallible. He's a great dad. I'm going to have lunch with him today. He's going to turn 90 this year, people. Can you imagine that? Some of you have seen him after he died back in 2017 and then came back. That's a whole story, but... On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was telling his disciples, betrayed to be crucified, that he was, you know, he had the Last Supper, and he told them, I'm going away. And he was teaching them about how they would continue in his ministry. Can you just imagine, we're going to continue in your ministry? Us? But you're the Son of God, whom the Father loves and whom he's well pleased. And he assures them that they have the same kind of relationship. And I want to read some of those passages because I want in the hearing of God's word, inspired word of God, that it would settle into our hearts and we begin to believe and experience this truth. He tells them this. In that day, in that day that I'm gone and I'm not physically present, but I'm present in you by my spirit. This whole section of John 14, 15, and 16 is a great teaching about the coming Holy Spirit. He says, in that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No. The Father himself loves you because you've loved me and have believed that I came from God. You've put your faith in me. The Father himself loves you. And I I told you just a few weeks ago when we were talking about that prayer, our Father, that this language translates, you know, in Greek, there's a few words that translate love in English. So there's several distinctions, and we just say love. We know we say, I love chocolate, and I love my wife, but we mean it hopefully differently, <laughs> right? So in, in Greek, there's a word that approximates the meaning of tender affection, tender affection endearment, phileo, and that's the word that's being used here. The Father himself tenderly loves you, like he tenderly loves the Son, Jesus. Later on, we read in John 17 that Jesus is praying to God the Father in that moment where he's wrestling because he's about to be crucified. 
The prayer where he says, not my will, but your will be done. First, is there any way you could let this, this cup pass me? And the answer is no. Okay, I'll drink the cup you have for me. I don't want to go to the cross, but I'm going to wrestle and go to the cross for you and the people of this world. In that prayer, Jesus says this, I have given them, his disciples, including you and me, the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as, I, as you and I are one. I and them, you and me, may they be brought to complete unity, that the world may know that you have sent me. We, we get that. We talk about that. We understand unity is important. But listen to the next sentence. Not even next sentence, next phrase. That you have loved them even as you've loved me. People, God the Father loves you even as he loves Jesus without you earning it. You were loved by God in the same manner that, that Jesus is loved. I've made you known to them, verse 26, and I will continue to make you known in order that, listen to these words. This is Jesus' prayer. Do you think when Jesus prays, his prayers are likely to be answered? I mean, if there's a good person who knows how to pray, <laughs> I think Jesus knows how to pray. And his prayer is this. That the love you have for me, Father, may be in them. It couldn't be clearer. The love that God the Father has for God the Son is to be in you and me. It's the same love. It's been said that the three most powerful words in the English language are, I love you. And there's, have you heard that from someone recently? Where they really, really seriously meant it, looked at you and said, Ramon, man, I love you. It's just so encouraging, isn't it? Bro, I love you, man. From a brother to brother. But it's so much even more powerful when my dad looks at me and says, son, I love you. It's even more powerful when I can hear God the Father. By the way, this is something I practice. I would encourage you to practice on a regular basis, I sit quietly before God and say, I'd love to hear you tell me you love me. Because it changes everything. My ability to love you is directly an overflow of my ability to receive God's love. It's super important that we receive God's love if we're to be loving people. The Bible says it this way, we love because he first loved us. So, when the Father says, I love you, it's so powerful. In, in, if you've been around the vineyard for any time at all, you've, you would probably hear us teaching at some point about how it is that we think we can do the ministry of Jesus, the power ministry of Jesus, effectively. You know, how is it that when maybe we can pray for someone who needs a miraculous healing, how could we see that happen? And somewhat unique in my experience in the church world was this understanding from, from John 5, 19. I'll read it and I'll maybe try to explain it. Jesus gave the Pharisees this answer. They were upset that he was healing. On the Sabbath. And he said, I tell you the truth, 
The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing because whatever the father does, the son does also. And so somewhere along the line in, in our heritage with John Wimber, he said, you know what? The key to effective ministry is to see what the father's doing and then do that because you can't do anything without him. So if the father's not about healing someone, don't try to heal him because nothing's going to happen no matter how much you shout and how much... You know, you work up faith and decree and declare and, you know, claim and name and whatever technique you've learned for bringing the fire. If God's not doing it, you ain't doing it. So the, the key is, Jesus said, I wait to see what the Father is doing, then I go do that. Because then it's going to happen. Where the Father is working, the kingdom of God is at hand. That's a great revelation. But we usually stop there and don't read the next sentence which is super important. The next sentence is, I, I can only do what the Father does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he's doing. Listen, if you want to be about effective, powerful ministry, it will help you to know that the Father loves you and shows you what he's doing. It will empower your faith. I don't have to, oh, God, I hope I can see something. No. I know the truth. Oh, yeah, that's right. You love me, and because you love me, you show me what you're doing. So I'm good. I think I'll sit around a while and see what you're doing and join you in that. And then watch great things happen. In um, some of the sort of focuses of, or distinctions among the various groups of Christians, there's a group called evangelical Christians who uh, would emphasize the work of Jesus. Jesus died for your sins. If you believe in him, you'll be saved and you can have a personal relationship with God. That would be kind of a big statement that evangelical Christians would go for. In the world of charismatic Christians, they would be saying, you can be empowered by the Holy Spirit, and you can speak in tongues, and you might prophesy, right? So one's about the Son, and one's about the Holy Spirit, and neither tend to give a lot of airtime to the Father. And this is another thing I, I hope will help us understand again about the love of the Father. If evangelicals and their own leaders have brought this to their attention, would go a little further, they'd realize that the love or the experience of Jesus dying for their sins and rising from the dead is an expression of the love of the Father. It is the What is the, the best-known verse in the Bible? What does it say? For God so loved. God the Father. <laughs> I wish you were on Zoom and Facebook could have a, a microphone and hear the people in the room. We just sing it. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Listen, if you have experienced salvation and failed to realize that your experience of salvation was an expression of God's love, God the Father's love to you, you might miss out 
the experience of his love that will deal with your insecurities and fears. The Father loves you. You know it because you got saved. But if you are a Pentecostal, hallelujah, sharabakasata, you know, you're speaking in tongues. You're saying, thus saith the Lord. You stop, you know. Did you know what Paul said about the infilling of the Holy Spirit? I'll read it to you, Romans chapter 5. God the Father has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he's given unto us. This is super significant. In our context, many of you have had powerful experiences with the Holy Spirit. You have shaken. You have quaken. You have fallen down. You have experienced overwhelming power, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, multiple times. I have. If I fail to connect, that that experience is actually God the Father's love for me. I'm going to miss out on understanding how loved I am. If you've had an experience somewhere in your life with the Holy Spirit, an infilling, that was the expression of Father's love for you. Saying, I love you, daughter. You're my daughter. You're my son. I am so pleased with you. You can do nothing to take away my pleasure. I am happy with you. I like you. I love you. I am for you. I'm not against you. And if you fall down, don't worry. I got you covered. Because I got your back. Because you're my child. And I love you. I love you unconditionally. Here's an expression of it. Get some Holy Ghost. Right? Here's an expression of it. I sent my son to take away anything that kept you from being close to me. So I can bury myself in the Father's arms. I'm going to ask Jeannie to come and help me with something. Just last night I I was uh, singing a song that a guy named Brian Dirksen wrote out of this experience. And I thought, man, I'd love to have someone sing. I'd love us to sing it together, actually. And I thought, well, Jeannie will be there. I've heard she can sing. I think Jeannie can sing. (laughs) And so she's going to lead us in a song that is is a request to say, Father, I want you to hold me. And it came out of the heart of this message. Father, I want you to hold me. Now, I've been praying for you that as you open your hearts up and sing this song from your heart, because it's you to God. It's not about God. It's one of those I-you songs. That you will today have an experience, not a knowledge. I want you to have knowledge, but I want you to have an experience of God the Father loving you. Powerful. Hi, Jeannie. Could you tell them about, so, so just yesterday I'm texting her, right? Could you sing this, you know the song? She said, I could learn that. And then she ha- she, we got on the phone trying to find a key over the phone. You know? and, <laughs> and she told me um, a story of 
experiencing what this song is about. And I said, would, would you share that with our family? Because I think it would be helpful. So she's going to do that. So it was a few years ago, and I just felt dry. And I said, Lord, I'm going to go sit on the couch, and I'm not leaving until I experience you. And, and I experience your love, and I'm not leaving this place. And I sat there, and I started remembering everything that he's done for me. And I just said, I know you gave me my house. I know you love me because you told me why you put me in my family. And, and you gave me this house. And, and I remember how you guided me to be a nurse. And, and you've just been like, and I just kept repeating, just like, I know you love me because of all these things you've done for me. And I just kept, and his love started washing over me. And I was just like, just undone, just like sobbing, but just getting filled and just waves and waves of his love. And, and, um, and I remember going out, I live in a cul-de-sac and I walked over and I saw this girl coming out of her house and I just ran up to her, Patty, do you know God loves you? It was like, I couldn't contain it. It was like everybody I saw, I was like, do you know God loves you? It was like, there was nothing else to say. There was nothing else you know that was it that's just that's just like the best so yeah the the title of this talk was experiencing god's love in you and through you which is what you just described see when we know the father's love in us we have now what we need to express the father's love through us you can give away what you got that's why we've just had a pandemic, because whatever you're infected with, people will catch. If you're infected with God's love, people around you are gonna catch it. And we could have an epidemic of love. Wouldn't that be good? A pandemic of love. We hope you've enjoyed this message. This weekly podcast is available on our website, gracevcf.org, where you can learn more about Grace Vineyard and our vision for people everywhere to know and worship God.